you know, it, it's monikers, you know, you often hear it called, you know, a meat grinder, uh, you know, but, um, but a funnel is when, um, you know, a new, a new campaign is starting and each player brings uh, three or four randomly generated zero level characters to the table. There's no backstory apart from their, their occupation. Um, you know, there's no equipment apart from, you know, like the, the grave digger might have a shovel and then the, and everyone kind of, you know, they comes, come with their trade goods. So a grave digger might have some, you know, a, a pound of grave soil, whereas the farmer brings his goat. There are just some games that breed a rabid following and Dungeon Crawl Classics is one of them. I sit down with four of the gentlemen that are behind the game. We talk about what Mr. Goodman was thinking as he pieced together the game at its origins. We talk about some of the signature aspects of the game, like the dice and the funnel. And we dig into each of their processes as they contribute to the game and to the supplements. At the time of the release, they are currently having DCC 100 up on Kickstarter. I've backed it and you can check it out by scrolling down and clicking the link. I want to give a quick shout out to some of our newest patrons, Sam Ayas, Peter Thomas, Joe KL, William Payne, Jacob, Isaac Turton, Aid S, and Eli Greeson. Because of you and the other 100 plus patrons, I'm able to put out content on a weekly basis. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with the crazy guys from Goodman Games. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we discuss the RPG Dungeon Crawl Classics, and we have a full house packed with guests from the Goodman Games team. Let's start off with Michael Curtis. He's the Director of Product Development for Dungeon Crawl Classics. He's been with the company for 15 years and created the Dungeon Alphabet, the Chained Coffin, Frozen in Time, and was the lead designer of the DCC Lankmer setting. Michael, welcome to the third floor. Thank you very much for having me on, Craig. So the first off, I got to we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff, but already you can see part of the reason, audience, why I was dying to talk to these uh, these guys. Uh, and it's this Dungeon Crawl class that's got on my radar is just the names of all of the supplements uh, are just fantastic um, as you go through it. So even if you have no idea what we're about to talk about, just the titles alone hook your interest. But before we get into talking about DCC, Michael, I want to um, ask you your origin story. So there was a day, uh, it wasn't yesterday, that you knew nothing about tabletop role-playing. And then suddenly it was put in front of you, you were first exposed to it. Can we go back there? So uh, it would have been uh, between Christmas and New Year's in 1980. Uh, it was a rainy day. I was visiting relatives in upstate New York, and my cousin Matt, who was maybe two, three years older than me, so I would have been about maybe eight or nine around this time, he said, you want to play a game? And I said, <laughs> sure. And he got out the Holmes box version, and yes. he handed me an entire party of adventurers. 
so I didn't have a first, like, I, my first character wasn't a thief. My first character was an entire party. And uh, we went to a dungeon, and uh, we uh, killed some giant ants. And I found, like, 16 copper pieces. And uh, I said, all right, yay, I go back to town. And because I thought we were supposed to go in and kill the monster and get the treasure. And I had killed the monster, and I had gotten a whopping 16 copper pieces, which when you're nine is, you know, I don't know how much that is or anything. So then, and then my cousin told me, no, but wait, there's more treasure. So, so, uh, so that, that, yeah, so we, uh, we played the afternoon, me playing an entire party of adventurers, and then it was over. I came back home, and I said to my mom, you have to buy me this Dungeons and Dragons game. And then that's how it went from there on. A, a series of questionable life choices um, have just <laughs> led me to where I am today. That's, that's basically where it goes. <laughs> so I'd be interested, Michael, um, obviously hooked you young, right? And, you know, that origin story is a, is a relatively common one. It's really interesting as I talk to more and more people how often it is around that age. It's, you know, usually an older relative or neighborhood, you know, kid, and it kind of introduces. What is interesting to me is... Um, what stuck, right? So you've played a lot of games when you're eight or nine years old, but for some reason, when you played this one, it's now leading to you being on my stupid podcast. So I'd be curious, looking back as adult, Michael, um, what do you think it was that that made such an impact? I, I just think it was simply because it was not like nothing I had ever seen before. I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, I mean, it was very similar to playing guns or you know, you know, whatever you played with your your friends when you were a kid. You know, it was unstructured play, but there was enough structure in here that it kind of eliminated the "bang, you're dead, no, I'm not" factor. Which you know, I, I don't think even if you can, if you can, if you can formulate that and express that at that age, you're still aware of it. Yeah. And uh, you know, I don't think when I played D and D, said, "Oh, this eliminates that factor." But I was like, "This seems fairer for some reason." You know, I mean, even even after the the third time, I fell down into an increasingly deeper and deeper pit until I said, "It's okay until we run to a sixty foot pit because only have fifty feet of rope." No, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> where is my ten foot pole? Um, so I'd be curious, Michael. Um, when was the first time you? went outside of Dungeon and Dragons. So what was the first time that you looked at something that was outside of that ecosystem? Um, like, uh, I mean, it wasn't too long after that because the second oh, wow. role-playing... Well, the second role-playing game I ever owned was Gamma World. So, I no mean, so if, if, we're, if we're talking, like, outside of... That depends on how, how far we're talking about outside. We're talking outside, like, the That's TSR outside. wheelhouse? No, or, no. Okay, all right. Because, because, you know, back in the day, back in the early, early to mid-'80s, TSR was pretty much... Like the only thing out there. I mean, that was like you know, because uh, as somebody may sell, you know, you could get you could get uh, the D and D box set in like the strangest of places. Um, you know, I mean, not just you know, not not just the hobby store. You know, yeah. so um, so it was so all the TSR titles were like you know, so I, I was all Gamma World, Top Secret, you know, Marvel superheroes, all at that point. And it wasn't really until I started playing other titles until I, I think I was introduced to like Palladium, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and then White Wolf, and all the stuff later on and stuff. So yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, Gamble World was, was RPG number two for me. That's cool. That's cool. So, so my second guess is Brendan LaSalle. He's a staff writer with Goodman Games and most recently released the Mutant High School Zine. He created X-Crawl and is and part of, that is part of the coming X-Crawl Classic Edition. Welcome to the third floor, Brendan. Thank you very much for having me. Great to meet you. So, Brendan, you get a special thank you because you're the one that helped me corral this uh, crew together. So a big thank you for that. It was um, a, a huge favor to me. But we got to do the same thing, my friend. So let's hear your origin story. Sure. So um, I started in 77. I was a, nice. really, uh, I was a really little kid. And uh, 
we went to California to visit my friends, my parents' friends who were there for a year on sabbatical. And uh, their son was a little older than me. And uh, he had the uh, Blue Holmes edition of uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So he sat down and we played the most insane, convoluted, like off the books version of the game that you can possibly imagine. We used action figures as our pieces and there were dice, but we sort of did whatever we wanted to with them. And it was ridiculous and hilarious fun. And I too went home and said, you now must buy me this game. But, and, and I had it, but I didn't play, I didn't play for, for actually for like a few years after that until right. I started Boy Scouts. And then um, my Boy Scout troop turned out all played and I sort of got back into the hobby. So I had like one, one big burst with it and then nothing for a few years. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting too, how that, that tends to play together. And um, all the young kids listening just don't realize what it was like. Cause I'm around the same years as you and Michael, when I started finding this stuff too. And there was no internet, there was no bulletin boards. There was, I mean, we just kind of figured it out. Right. And you know, it, uh, you, the, what you played is whatever, whoever showed you what they played, which may have nothing to do with the rule book at all. Um, but somehow, you know, we, we kind of, you know, sort through it and figure it out. And then how about for you, Brendan, when did you find yourself kind of expanding out just outside of that, uh, that first game that you played when you started discovering there's other games? Well, uh, new games were thrust upon my gaming group because my uh, my buddy's mom decided that what we were doing was satanic. Oh. Uh, and uh, they were phone calls to parents. And uh, we didn't want to exclude Johnny because he was hilarious. And uh, he finally, the compromise was he introduced us all to Traveler. Nice. Uh, his uh, dad went out and picked up like the entire stack of little Traveler books and uh, we spent a, a jolly afternoon creating NPCs, many of whom died uh, during creation, uh, <laughs> in order to uh, play. And then we, we, we did that. Turns out, Johnny, since it was his game, and, you know, I love the guy, still miss him, terrible GM. So we didn't play it for very long. We just decided we got into other things, and uh, we didn't do that. I didn't... Uh, yeah, that was the that was my first one was Traveler. So that's a good jump though. Traveler Traveler was serious business, especially for back then. Still kind of serious business today. Um, and, Original hard SF game, I think. Oh no question, no question. And and how about for you again? Uh, when adult Brendan looks back and thinks about you know how how this hooked you and led to you know a career and where you are now, um, what was it that, that that did it? Why why did this stick with you and stay with you? You know, I was transported. I was absolutely transported. Um, for however goofy our rules and how convoluted the, the version of the game that my friend and I played, his, like his setup for it, where I was like this homeless kid wandering around the city that found a magic porthole that I walked through and, you know, dis- you know what I mean? Discover this fantasy world where I was a ranger, you know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? It was just mind blowing to me, and it, um, you know, like I, it, the the spell of that game was with me. It still, it still is, and uh, I, I'm a life rock. I never once I got back into it, I, I didn't really, you know, I, I wouldn't say I, I always knew I was going to do it as a career, but it's been my main, you know, this is my main hobby. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, I, I never really strayed far from it. It just it, it, that first game absolutely changed my life. It's incredible to me how um, often when I when I talk about these origin stories and people, you know, go back, go back to when they're nine years old, for crying out loud. But the but the story is vivid. Right. And 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 I see it in the faces when people are telling the story, they're going back there. And it's something that's unique about this hobby, that it just kind of burns these memories and images and feelings into you. And it, and it uh, that didn't happen when you played uh, Stratego. 
right? Uh, it's something very, very unique. It's it's cool. All right, my third guest. I'm not. Oh, go ahead, Brandon. I'm sorry. Power narrative. I think we yes. we're, we're conditioned to think in stories, and all of a sudden, we're all creating a story together. It just sucks you in. Yeah, it's transforming. There's no, absolutely no question about it. Uh, so I'm not done yet. I still have two more guests. So my next guest is Harley Stroh. He's a writer going all the way back to DC, DCC 17, Tomb of the Savage Kings, which I was one of the first ones that I bought as soon as I got the big book. Uh, his The next release we're looking for, now listen to this, the first one I just talked about, DCC 17. The next release he's coming out for him is DCC 100. So this is starting to give you an idea of what the hell's going on here. Music of the Sphere. So Harley, welcome to the third floor. Hey, Craig. Thanks. Thank you for having us all on. I appreciate it. Uh, it's my pleasure. So Brendan stole Michael's story. Do you have a somewhat original origin story or are we going <laughs> to? <laughs> there's, there's a company's story that Joseph hands out when you join on. Um, you know, for me, it was, uh, I, I had a, I had a babysitter. I was, it was second grade. My babysitter brought this, this, this crazy game with weird dice that I had no clue. Um, and he, he, he played us through the, the, the first few rooms of, uh, of not keep on the borderlands, but caves of chaos. Oh yeah. Um, I died in the, I died in that pit, you know, as you go towards the kobolds, you hang a right and you know, there's the, the rats at the bottom of the pit. And, uh, you know, it's 15 minutes in, um, but then, but then like the next week, um, I was like, dude, when, when are you coming back? When are you going to babysit us again? And his family decided it was satanic. No and, kidding. Uh, so we 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 had a illicit exchange in a in an abandoned lot where he he offered he he gave me the box set and all the books and I I received them from him knowing that they were evil that I had to hide them from my family that that this thing that had given me so much joy had to be you know hidden and tucked away like, Isn't like that the, funny? I'd been given the Necronomicon in like an empty <laughs> lot behind his house and it was mine to carry forward now so and yeah and then I've been you know gaming ever since that's cool that's very very cool and and how did it what do you think put the hooks in it as as a kid harley that uh that, that kept you kept you going for so long you know so i i run um um at least when we're out of the pandemic i run a, i run games for uh, kids of the library oh, and so the, cool. the same thing that's true for them is is, is true for me is like um with with a good judge with a good gm you're presented with this world where the parents aren't going to tell me what to do they're not going to tell you what to do you know little fourth grader i'm not going to tell you what to you can you can act out in this world you know however you know you're in charge and yeah. and, and i and i think that really struck me as a child that i i was finally making my own decisions you're receiving my own repercussions and i and i see it with the kids that you know we run today it's, it's the exact same thing like this 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 freedom that role-playing games bestows upon children just yeah. like blows their minds wide open so i'd be curious harley um age group uh so what is the age range on on these kids that you're uh you're playing with yeah our youngest um the youngest we've run with is um is in fourth grade and then it goes all the way up you know probably freshman sophomore in high school and do you notice anything different about the kids as they're grokking it at different levels right at different ages are you seeing it or or seeing them change over time as they age because there's big jumps that happen in that age range that you just talked about and i'd, and I'd be really curious to know if you see the game being grasped any differently that's a fascinating question it feels like the older kids are able to live into the imagination more strongly um well, you know, it's you know, we'll have I'll have my younger players, and they're like, "Well, I I, I grab my grenade and throw," it. you know, because they're still coming out of you know, like cops and robbers, essentially, like we're in that timeline, right? And so, and I'm like, "Well, 
you don't have a grenade. I don't see it on your character sheet. You know, we didn't discover a grenade in the last adventure. And and so there's, there's, and maybe, and maybe it's not so much the age of the player, but their experience of playing. Mm. And they, they sort of learn those unspoken rules of, yes, this is make-believe and, and yes, you can do whatever you want, but there's, there's a threshold of reality that, that kind of binds it all together. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Last but not least, Dieter Zimmerman, he loves beer and cats and has been with Goodman Games for about 15 years now. Dieter, welcome to the third floor. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. All right, my friend. Was it a babysitter? Was it a friend? What was it? It was was a very similar story to everyone else's. It it was uh, one of my friend's older brothers. Uh, but the, the difference with my story is we didn't have a rule book the first time I played. He, oh, we just wow. had one D20. He was making it all up as he went along. He'd roll, we'd roll the D20, be like, uh, 15. Okay. I guess, <laughs> I guess you killed the monster. Sure. Um, so yeah, I don't remember much about that first adventure really, except I remember firing crossbows at specters. Nice. Nice. So what was your first encounter with like any type of structure? When's the first time you got a rule book in front of you? Well, well, then, uh, yeah, when I for my ninth birthday, then I got the, uh, nice. the red box basic set. So. And were you a player? Were you GM? Did you do both? I, I did. I did both. Me, me, and a couple of the other neighborhood kids would would trade off. So. Very, very cool. Now, as we talk about this, you know, and obviously, uh, again, we're all here right now. But the other thing I think I find interesting, Dieter, is. Um, if there has been a break. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people, they, you know, they grab onto it when they're young and, you know, in middle school, high school. And then at some point there's like a five-year gap. There's a 10-year gap. Did that happen to you? Or did you play consistently all the way to today? Um, I'm not, I, I played pretty consistent. Actually, if there's a break at all, it's been the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've, I've done some playing online recently and stuff, but um, no, there has not really been a break for me. Um, not more than a few months at a time. So here's the big question for you then. Um, I uh, somehow through a portal grab a recording of you running a game 15 years ago and you and I sit down and watch it together. What are you going to notice that's changed? Let's see. 15 years ago. I think what's changed for me as a DM in 15 years is um, I'm I'm a lot more open to just going on the fly than following the structure of the adventure. I think if the players come up with a great idea, I will run with it. Yeah. Yeah. And what and what what hasn't changed? So what would we see that I would see if I played with you today? Um, What hasn't changed is um, I like to do uh, very. The, the settings, I like to make up my own settings. I don't like to use prepackaged settings very much. And uh, NPCs, I try to give them all voices and <laughs> uh, distinguishing characteristics, I guess. Very, very cool. So, guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process inspiration and the methods for crafting their creations we're going to do that with these four gentlemen but first we're going to take a break when we get back from this break let's figure out what the hell dcc is we'll be right back you like science fiction right love playing games, maybe even role-playing games. But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? 
If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Dead Belt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. <laughs> no one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So, um, as listeners know, I took a long break uh, from role-playing games, and the pandemic brought me back to something that I forgot how much I loved. Um, and guys, for for you, it was about a twenty-year break, um, and you know, uh, a lot happened in role-playing in twenty years. Uh, and uh, I spent a lot of time, and it became you know one of the subjects of this podcast, kind of figure out what the hell happened over twenty years. Um, and there was certain games that just came up right so as i talked to people and i was like you know what are you playing what are you enjoying dungeon crawl classics dungeon crawl classics um and and i'm amazed at um the the rabid following that this game has um i've never met anybody that likes this game i've only ever met people who love this game and before we really talk about it um as far as what it is i i also like to get an understanding of of where it came from so harley i want you kind of if you, as best as we can there was a point where mr goodman had no i did no idea that this was going to happen right and then the way these things tend to happen is uh, an idea starts churning in the head we try something out do you have a sense harley of when it really started to turn into something that it eventually became today um so so we were at at gen con and i and i don't recall the year and i apologize but um he came to, to uh Joseph came to Chris Doyle and myself, and he asked if if we could write a 64-page um, distillation of the rules at the time. And um, this this must have been like right at the end of 3.5 or right at the start of 4E. And um, and so so he he came forward and was like, oh wow, you know, like like the 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 Moldvay book or you know like uh, you know like the Mincer book. Like we all got really excited about that possibility. But then time passed and, mm -hmm. and things fell away. And it was it was right about that same time that um, Doug Kovacs started harassing Joseph about having never read Fritz Leiber or or, or any of the <laughs> appendix in. And so, um, you know, so 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 four E, you know, came and went and and all of a sudden, Joseph, um, you know, to speak for him, you know, he found himself, you know, there's this this valley of like, you know. Gaming stores are going out of business. Distributors, you know, weren't paying publishers. Yeah. Um, 
And and so he had a lot of time on his hands all of a sudden because what had been a really successful line of adventures, of third-party adventures, you know, for, for Wizards of the Coast, you know, we were writing 3.0, 3.5, 4E, all of a sudden that dropped off and Joseph found himself with a lot of free time. And Doug had suggested that he read all this appendix in. So his, his you know, his brain was just frothing with... Um, all this appendix in magic and Joseph took it upon himself to start off a, you know, a, a, a small book of, of, of adventure. Well, rather a, a rule book that, you know, he could, he could take to his cousins his you know, to his, to his family's, you know, getaways in the summer and run for, for his own family. Um, and so he, he took that opportunity and then created the foundation and the structure for what we now know as DCC RPG, you know, and it, it was, you know, I think it, he he had tried to introduce um, his family to four E, and that fell really flat. And then so that that inspired him to write something that like you know dads could introduce to their kids. And uh, interesting, you know, a harried judge on the weekend could run really easily. Did you did he ever explain why he felt it f- fell flat and why that then led to DCC? I'd be I'd be really interested to understand that. You know, I I, I could dig through my emails, but I'm pretty sure it was <laughs> it was just it was just too complicated. You know, and so yeah. the, the you know while while the DCC RPG, you know, you, you see the book and it's and Mike could tell us, but it's like 360 pages of tome and it could stop a bullet if somebody shot at you. Um, you know the, the the core mechanics is you know you declare what you're going to do you're going to roll a d20 and and any 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 one interaction is very very simple and 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 like you know in my own case like a, a third grader a fourth grader can understand it and and play it um and so it, it's 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 easy to be passed along that way yeah yeah and it um what, what I thought was interesting, too, as I started going through it is obviously it brought back memories, right? Because there's a lot of things that um, are familiar in there. But um, and I think we tend to forget it, just how bad the rules were written back then. Um, and <clears throat> not a comment. I mean, it was the first time anybody had freaking done it before. So, you know, God bless. But it's really interesting to see uh, how how it's been tightened up. Now, Brendan, when did you start being exposed to uh, Dungeon Claw Classics or when did it get on your radar? So um, I had been talking to Joseph during all of this, and I sort of saw it in like flashes. Like we had a conversation on the phone one time where he was like, yeah, I'm just really unhappy with fourth edition. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm thinking about something. And then like a while later, like, yeah, you know, me and Doug and Harley went out. We, we talked about this. We're going to do our own system. I'm like, oh, great. I'd love to, you know, if I can help it all. And then like he came to Atlanta with a very early version of it. And I was in a, I was in, we actually did two play tests that day. One where it was a funnel, and I thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever done. I was having so much fun, like, you know, I throw another guy at the trap. What happens, you know? And then uh, we did a, a higher-level adventure that afternoon, and I kind of went away going, all right, I get that. That was really that was really something. But um, honestly, I was still doing X-Crawl at the time, and I was sort of doing I, – I was doing my own thing for Joseph, but under another aegis, you know, within, right. within his company. So um, I, I was sort of on the periphery of it, and it wasn't until – like, eventually, at one time, I got the core book and, like, the first five or six adventures, I want to say, you know, um, like, all at once. And I went home and just devoured them. And uh, I got completely sucked in. And, like, the, the playing it was one thing um, and trying it, but actually going through that rule book. First of all, I started hearing Dio in my head, and I'm not even, <laughs> a, I'm not even the biggest metal guy, but I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? 
Um, but uh, also, I was like, like the, the two days after I got that, I sent this very long, very polite email to Joseph, like, please, 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 sir, may I please write an adventure for your new game? And he was very cool about it. Um, so, um, you know, I, I was not there for the system heavy lifting at all. I, I think I'm listed as a playtester in the core book. And that was my, all of my contribution was, you know, uh, you know, my elf getting killed by the party after I tried to betray him all. You did your part. <laughs> I, you know, I, I like to think I added something, you know. Um, but um, it wasn't until the system was under underway pretty well that I... Um, uh, jumped in and, you know, to, you know, it was like, please let me write an adventure for this because I was so excited about it. Yeah. Now, Dieter, 15 years is a long time. Um, and of course, we do see your name uh, listed under uh, uh, under the designer group in the in the core rule book. Um, over those 15 years, I'd be curious, what have you seen happen? Um, so what is the what did the game start off as and where, what it has it be, what has it become? Well, it started as a series of modules for D&D, 3.0, 3.5, 4th edition, as we said before. But, um, yeah, it, it became its own game. Was it like 2011, 2012, maybe, was when Joseph was working on it and published it. Um, and it, it's a very different game, I guess, than, than D&D was at the time. Um, it, it kind of reinterprets the, the source material, I guess, and, and puts it out there differently. What do you think, um, what do you think is the best way to explain that? So if I've got a listener right now who, you know, has heard of Dungeon Crawl Classics, you know, has heard this conversation that we've had so far, we really haven't talked about exactly what the game is. So how, what's, a, what's a good way to explain it to a new listener? Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm good at this one because I've, I've worked the booth at a whole oh, bunch sure of different cons and I tell people this all the time. Hit play. Um, so, so, right, when, when, when Joseph went and read all the Appendix N books and all that, and basically his, he decided to create a game that um, reflected those sources better, in his opinion. Um, so it's, it's a lot more... Um, Robert E. Howard and Fritz Leiber than it is Tolkien um, in, in flavor and feeling. It's a lot more uh, big adventure rather than traveling across the countryside to Mount Doom or whatever. Yeah, and it definitely invokes that. And I'd be curious for you, Michael, um, when we talk about you know, Appendix N, we talk about what, you know, what drove this, um, a, a different type of fantasy game, right? Uh, again, back to uh, kind of the source material as it was commented before. In your mind, um, what are how does the game do that, right? So it's not just the DCC, you know, 100s, 58s, and stuff like that. What do you think is mechanically causing that to be invoked? Well, I think mechanically wise, I mean, it's 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 like the 3.5 system stripped down. So it so uh, it gets rid of a lot of the excessive stuff, like the feats and all the rest of that stuff. And because it gets down to just like the bare bones of a system, it's really easy to graft on other stuff. You know, like I always said that 3.5 is the Swiss watch. Uh, like 3.5, like the as written is like the Swiss watch of of gaming because mm -hmm. everything it works very precise. Everything is you know it's all you know it's this beautiful machinery but 
if you change the slightest thing over here, you know, you might be throwing off something else completely else down the line and you don't realize it until, you know, eight levels later or something like this. You know, there used to be the whole thing of like, you know, like this is this is the broken feet thing. Like if I take, you know, if I'm proficient in like chain whip and then I take this, you know, I'm doing 800 points of damage per round or something. I have broken the system. But so since DCC gets rid of all of that and really embraces that that randomness, like from 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 get go, you know, like you may not even survive, you know, the character you want to survive may not even survive to become a first level character so because it's so stripped down it's this hot rod that you can just add stuff to and um like when we did when we got the the library license to do lankmar everybody was so, like oh like oh this is the best system whatsoever because we literally just tweaked a couple things and we made it seem you know exactly like that setting you know because yeah because because it's there was so it was so accepting because it was so lean and and the other thing is that not mechanical wise, but there's language choices, which you may not be aware of. Like you were saying at the start of the show, how you, how like the titles of the adventures are so evocative and everything. Yeah. Joe has always been like, when we title an adventure, think of like the, those appendix and stories, like the stuff, like the sword and sorcery titles that were written back in the thirties and, you know, in the forties and, you know, the sixties and seventies. So there was a while, like we couldn't call anything like the blank of the blank just because that is like, you know, the keep on the borderlands or, you know, the sinister secret of, you know, so that's why we have stuff like a chain coffin and, you know, and the hole in the sky and, you know, peril on the purple planet. I mean, these really sound like stuff that are either Sabbath lyrics or something that you're going to find that, like, you know, like a, uh, you know, like, you know, like, a, like, a, like a weird tales. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so even there subconsciously we're evocating, like it's a different mindset than, you know, like, you know, they, you know, like whatever, the, I don't know, not throwing shade on anybody, but they're, you know, some of the big names are just like, this is kind of the most vanilla sounding adventure I can, I couldn't even tell you what this adventure is about because it's so vanilla sounding. <laughs> it's like, you know, the kobold chieftain's crown, like, all right, you know, well, we could call that like the scaly hell of, you know, the psycho war, you know, I mean, so it's. <laughs> well, and, and what's neat about that, Michael, is that it, um, it doesn't stop with just the words, right? It doesn't just stop with the titles. I mean, when, when you grab the book, the cover tells you exactly what you're about to open and it, and there's multiple covers and you start going through and looking at the art. Um, this is art that is not made anymore. Um, and it's very evocative of a different time. And I, and that obviously must've been a very conscious choice. Yes. Uh, it's a shame that we shame that all of us here are basically the, the word monkeys, uh, you know, so for, for better words, we don't have any of the artists on because art is always on Joseph's mind to the point where like all of the work that we do, like, well, not we, all the work that good, that good games commissions and everything, it's all in a physical medium. Like we don't use any digital art, you know, it's, it's everybody is usually, you know, like a actual pen or ink or, you know, on actual board and stuff. I mean, you know, so it's, it's no, you know, no Photoshop, you know, I mean, I know there's, I know, I think we have some pieces that still use zip tone. Like, you know, I mean, you know, if, if, you know, that's all, I mean, it's, it's, it, he's, Joe is very aware of, um, of the art decisions that are made. So. There, there was in the original creation of the game, I don't know if the rest of you guys were involved with this or not, but there was an email chain where Joseph said, like, give me a whole bunch, a list of different scenes that would make great artwork for the core book or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so a bunch of us, like, I 
remember coming up with like 20 or 30 different like just phrases that would make great artwork and then when the core book came out like i was like that was my oh, idea that's cool I, I remember saying that and and i'm proud to say that uh, russ nicholson drew a lot of mine so. <laughs> and look where you are now dieter <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, harley there's a lot of different ways to ask this question i'm going to try one way and let's see if it works um I come to you and I say, all right, look, Harley, we're going to put out the next edition of DCC and I, and we're going to go ahead and drop this mechanic. Um, uh, and you're like, well, then we can't call it DCC anymore. Is there some, is there something in the game that you think is critical to making it what it is? Wow. That's, that's a great, I would, I would actually like to hear everybody else's answers. I bet. Um, I mean, I, I can go, wow. go with your gut. What's, okay. your gut um, What's the first thing? I, well, you know, I'm just such a fan of Warriors and Mighty Deed of Arms, um, you know, and just the, in 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 many in many other role playing games, um, you give the the new player um, the the fighter or the warrior or the fighting man because it's the simplest yeah. of the mechanics to run with. Uh, it's like, well, you know, you just you just take this 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 die with twenty faces and you roll it, and we'll tell you if you hit the thing. But when you get to Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, this this notion this mighty deed of arms that um you know it does away with all feats and in 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 the place of all those feats a, a warrior can attempt like almost literally anything as long as it as it goes with the fiction of of the game and so you know you're swinging across chandeliers and you're and you're you know breaking the horns off minotaurs and then stabbing them in the chest and you're like throwing demons back through the portals and that all goes back to the mighty deed of arms there's no there's no feet governing that you know no judge is going to step forward and say well you don't have the the bull rush feet you're, you can't force that demon through um and so for yeah for me it's 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 mighty deed of arms well, now we got to do the round table. So how about for you, Brendan? What do you think is something that, that makes the game the game? And if we were to take it out, um, it wouldn't be the game anymore. Sure. Um, I'll say Spellburn. You know, Ooh. the idea that uh, a wizard can, like, actually, you know, trade a bit of their soul. That they can, you know, power their spells through blood and sacrifice and pain and make an effect larger than they normally could by making that trade-off. I think that's a, I, I think that really speaks a lot to the flavor of the game and also the individual mechanics. I, I think that without that, it wouldn't be, it absolutely wouldn't be the same. And when I've played games with, um, say, people playing spellcasters who either ignored that mechanic altogether or played, like, super conservatively, you know, it didn't feel right. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it should be. I love the idea of these wizards you know uh, um doug doug kovacs describes them as like says like in, in dcc wizards are like junkies you know what i mean who just are like <laughs> always trying to hit that next big high they shouldn't mess around with it but they have to mess with it you know and um i, I love that description and i think it's very apt i think without spellbird i don't think it's dcc all right dieter um, similar, I think this, the spell check in general, like the fact that spells do not do the same thing every time you cast them. That is the big thing for me. Magic should be wild and unpredictable. Yeah, can you give us a little bit more details on that for people? Because it is a fascinating mechanic and, and, and responsible for like 80% of the book. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's a big part of the rule book, but it's worth yeah. it. It's totally worth it. Um, so the basic mechanic is you, you roll a D20 and you add your level and intelligence modifier or whatever and compare it 
to the table for the spell you're casting. And you may fail to cast the spell. You may cast it, you could cast like one magic missile that does one point of damage, or you could cast a hundred magic missiles that can hit your enemy anywhere on the same plane of existence as you. Um, and there's there's always the chance that you um, have a critical failure and you, you know, end up with warts or five arms or whatever. It's great it fun. is, and it's so cool because, every, and to reinforce this, every spell has its own table, right? So this is not a, just a generic effect table. Each of these spells are crafted that way. Um, Dieter, are you at all responsible for any of those tables? I, I am not responsible for any of those tables. I did help. I did help write the mercurial magic table, though, and that's that's the other thing. For anyone who doesn't know, each spell caster always learns a spell a little bit differently, so each spell also has a little side effect. Oh, it's so cool. It's so so cool. How about for you, Michael? What is what is the signature piece for you? What what makes DCZ uh, the game? I am so glad that nobody else chose this one because for me this is this is you know you know every day of the week twice on Sunday but luck and the luck mechanic this oh. is you know if 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 it is not luck if luck is not involved in the game it is not DCC because it is the simplest mechanic whatsoever um, out of the you know if you if you are familiar with D and D you are familiar with the six stats you know I mean strength constitution dexterity uh, intelligence wisdom and charisma well we use slightly different stats we use strength agility stamina intelligence personality we could kind of take wisdom and charisma and roll them into one leaving us with the luck stat and luck i am very big as i've gotten older uh with encouraging player agency uh you know allowing you know allowing players to have a say into not being completely slaves to the dice so the way that the luck works is you can spend luck in dcc to basically bump up a dice score for every point of luck you spend it gets plus one so you know so if you really need to hit that you know that monster in order to get that mighty deed off to rip those minotaurs you know horns off its head you can spend that two points of luck to make sure the attack hits and then you know succeed doing the, the mighty deed uh but of course the thing is is that it's you're never required to spend luck and when you spend luck it's a choice because luck for the most part is not easy to recover so you know and then there are times in the course of the game where you have to make a luck check and you make a luck check by rolling your current luck or less on a D20 or a D30 or whatever. You know, some things are harder than others. So, you know, yeah, you might have to spend those 10 points to really get that wizard. But if you have to make a luck check and your luck check is your luck is now four, you know, I mean, and that luck check could be see if you are mostly dead or completely dead. You know, I mean, <laughs> so so it's so I have spent a lot of time thinking about the luck, the, the luck economy in DCC, something Doug Kovacs and I talked about because. Um, in DCC, what we call core DCC, uh, there's the halfling class, which are the is basically the luck battery. Like every point of luck they spend is worth two, and they can spend it to help out all their other friends. Oh, wow. and they regain luck every day. You know, thieves get the same way, but they can just spend it to help for themselves. So when we were doing Lankmar, we said we didn't we didn't have halflings. So we're like, how are we going to play around with the luck mechanic? And that came up with, with something which we call fleeting luck, which is basically a a way to spend luck within the group. But it's a really simple thing. It rewards you for doing stuff that is in that appendix in that Fritz Leiber, Fafford and Gray Mouser, you know, stuff. Um, but at the same time, at any moment, all of that gain luck can just go away. So it really encourages you to spend it before it is gone. So there's none of that. I'm just going to sit here and accumulate luck all for four hours. And then when it comes to the big bad guy, I'm going to spend all of it and, you know, and, and win the game. And um, I, I just I love the luck mechanic. I think. 
you know, for I think I think every time we come up with like a new version or something else with with uh, that uses the DCC mechanic, there's always like, should we use straight luck or should we do something <laughs> interesting right now? So, so, um, so yeah. So for me, it's the luck mechanic. If luck's not there, I might as well be playing Dungeons and Dragons. So. So my hope is by asking this question, and I'm going to mark this as a huge success, we would start to capture where this passion comes from, from the players, right? Um, And I think that these four guys really did a neat job of capturing their own version of that because it is, I talk about how familiar the, the, the game felt at the first flip through. But as I start digging into it, as I start exploring it, you start to realize, to, to quote Michael, there's there's choices that were made and they were they were not as random as the game is random choices. Uh, they're very deliberate and there's a thematic feel of consistency from mechanics to the artwork to the text to the uh, all of those decisions and i and i think we did a good job uh talking through that so guys we're going to take a quick break when you get back from this break i want to talk about two things that always come up if you're going to mention dcc to somebody and that's the idea of the funnel and then we already talked to tom from impact miniatures we're going to talk about the dice we'll be right back This is Sean. You may have heard of me from such movies as Brett and Sean Go to Illinois, Two Motorcycles, One Stick of Dynamite, and Gaming and BS, what kind of RPG podcast is that? After my NFTs were stolen, I decided to become a patron of Third Floor Wars. The content is great, and it costs me less than a good shot of liquor. So consider becoming a patron. It may just land you your next big role. Head over to patreon.com forward slash third floor wars. Tell Craig Sean sent you. So like I mentioned, um, you know, when the conversation of DCC comes up, um, there's two things that are you're guaranteed are going to be discussed. And, and the first one I want to talk about is a thing called the funnel, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, it uh, there's, there's no point in me describing it. So, Harley, um, how do we describe what the hell a funnel is? Well, okay, so, well, it's, it's you know, it, it's monikers, you know, you also, often hear it called, you know, a meat grinder, uh, you know, but um, but a funnel is when, um, you know, a new, a new campaign is starting and each player brings uh, three or four randomly generated zero level characters to the table. There's no backstory apart from their, their occupation. Um, you know, there's no equipment apart from, you know, like the, the grave digger might have a shovel and then the, and everyone kind of, you know, they comes, come with their trade goods. So a grave digger might have some, you know, a, a pound of grave soil, whereas the farmer brings his goat. And, um, and so with these, with these, with these four characters in front of me, and that's true for everybody else around the table, um, they, they very quickly run into the sharp edge of a dungeon and, and one by one get winnowed down until hopefully you have one, possibly two, um, PCs left and they're very rarely the ones you fall in love with you know like you you know it's it's a truism but it happens all the time you have that one character with great stats that you manage yeah. to roll and 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 you you keep them at the back of the line and you know for whatever reason it's the it's the one-armed you know jerk at the front with just you know two hit points and he has a five intelligence and you really wanted to play a wizard this time and that's the guy that makes it through to the other side and well damn it that's my wizard now and so but but you know it it 
it, it it gives it gives you the ability that you know you you because you fall in love with that guy over the course of the, the three hours of watching all his all his all his companions die around him and all of a sudden it's like man I love this five intelligence wizard that you know damn it he's he survived this zero level funnel yeah. he made it to first level he has magic missile which is only gonna go off when he rolls like a twenty or better but damn it that's my that's my magic user that's my wizard and there's no other wizards like him and the the, the through playing through that initial zero level adventure, that's 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 where the backstory is, and so it's 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 really easy in that you know there's 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 no downtime. If like you know if I'm running a game and like all of Dieter's PCs drop because they 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 charged into the pit, well you know I give him five minutes and he'll 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 be yeah. back with four with four new characters, and there's, so there's um you know the 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 cursing is the is also the, the curse is also the blessing in that it's it's really easy to you know to get a, a player back in the game yeah, that, that's really cool and now harley if i go back and read 3.5 and i tried to distill that down i would not come up with the funnel right the funnel was not in 3.5 no, so where did no. the funnel come from do you know well, that's that's entirely, uh, you know, that's that's a Joseph Goodman, you know, when he was taking those two weeks on the beach, um, and and it literally is, it was amazing. Like, you know, he would he was he would he would email us, and there would be like another fifteen pages the next day. Like the 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 core mechanics, the core, the structure, the the bones of DCC was generated in a very small period of time. Interesting of, of, of Joseph reading and writing and and spitting all this out. And, and and part of that was 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 the funnel that there wasn't going to be a backstory. You could you could sit down with your with your cousins and your nieces and your nephews. and You're like, all right, here's three d six. Roll them, add them all together. You're ready to go, and yeah. and and get right to the adventure. I think I I haven't had a conversation with Joseph about it ever, but I feel like some of it comes from the idea that um, all heroes were regular people before they were right. heroes. And and so much of it does just come down to luck. Who is in the right place at the right time? They become the hero. Yeah. Yep. If I if I can interject too, because I, I have yet another aspect to this. Is what um, I don't know where he specifically came up with the funnel idea, but I think I have a pretty good handle on what he was trying to evoke, and that was he wanted to get that old school style of play where you know where it, it took you literally ten minutes to make up a, like a first level character in like you know Molde or BX everything like so you would go into adventure and you know they would get killed you know and then so you would make up another character. I, I was literally running a BX campaign. And if there was a fight, one of my one of my players, like if his character died in a fight, his goal was to roll up a new character and get that character in the same fight that killed his <laughs> other character. Like you know, like that, like like suddenly this guy comes running around the corner and just like leaps in there. So he he wanted because and it's that one character that survives to third level. Like I've yeah. always said that you know like prior to creating background and buying feats and taking all the rest of this stuff, I never had a good character, a good idea of what my character was until I hit third level because at that point I had like the experience to it and I had an idea in my head what it was like the funnel basically distills all of that into a single session because you have you have that character you, his buddies die you know you know the, there is there is there is a death toll around there but the one who manages to get out there and become a first level character 
that is the character that you now have that backstory to that you didn't have to sit down and you're like okay i'm gonna take this background and this feat to represent that and all the rest and buy this skill because he was a he was enslaved by sailors and you know you know, you know whatever it is it's just yeah he was the one who was smart enough to throw the goat at the she gave him <laughs> and you know and managed to get out of there alive so so that's I, that's i know that's what he was trying to evoke with the funnel and i think he did a very a great job in doing so yeah without question now uh, i'm going to go out on a limb brendan and i'm going to assume that you have run more than one funnel in in your time so um it seems like the funnel does a lot of things, right? It allows us to figure out who our character is going to be, where they came from, from peasant to uh, scoundrel and adventurer. Um, the other thing that the funnel does is creates memories and and creates great stories that you're going to tell w- away from the table. So, so Brendan, for you, um, what is one of your favorite funnel stories? Uh, okay, so um, I run a uh, funnel called uh, the Accursed Heart of the world ender it's um, great which, <laughs> thank you yeah it's uh you know um I, I you know one of the great things about a funnel is that you know to a to a, a you know a character with one die four hit points and a plus zero to hit and everything it may as well be satan you know what i'm saying like an orc you know so you can really scale up these monsters so they actually fight this uh have to fight this world ending demon um, and at one point, part of the demon's thing is he's vulnerable for a, a short period of time. And uh, the characters in the funnel are all running around. I had um, a character who will be in my heart forever, a player in my heart forever. And um, the, the, I, one of the items that could be a danger to this uh, demon got like loose in the rest of the party. And his one character wanted to take it and aid the demon. And his other character wanted to take it uh, to destroy the demon. Amazing. And they fought to the death. With him playing both roles in my thing, and I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, isn't that something?" Oh man, it made me want to have kids. It was like a fifteen-year-old. I was like, <laughs> "Why can't my boy grow up like that?" You know what I mean? It was just a, a beautiful moment. So that's one of my. If you want a favorite memory, that's one of my absolute all-time favorite memories. Oh, all right. So that that was great. Um, anybody else want to share a quick memory? My favorite funnel memory is actually from uh, Hole in the Sky that Brendan wrote. Um, in all my years of gaming, that is the only adventure I have ever had a TPK in as a DM. Wow. <laughs> so so I, that one's special <laughs> to me. <laughs> How about for you, Harley? Um, what, what, is, what is a funnel story that uh, just pops into your head when someone says funnel? We we had I was I was I was running at Genghis Khan down in Denver. Um, it was early play tests. And uh, one of the uh, one of the characters had had lost his arm in the game before, and and he came back to play the next game. But he only had he had he had literally one hit point. But he was he was carrying this grimoire um, from from the prior game. And so for hours, you know, they're being chased by orcas, you know, through hell. And there's like PCs, zero level characters dying left and right as they should, right? And this 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 character, you know. Um, it is black Dougal is what he had named him, which is hilarious because we were playing with, you know, we didn't have, you know, Doug was big in our minds, but he, he named his character black Dougal. He made, he made it to the very, he made it through the entire game, you know, with his, with his two hit points and his, and his, you know, just his one arm holding onto the scrimoire. And, you know, at one point, you know, a demon is grabbing him by the leg, trying to haul him back to hell. And, and it's those moments. And I know the the rest of you guys have all had it. Like they don't come often, but there's those moments when, you know, when the, 
everybody's looking at it and it's a it's like like objectively like, this is a stupid mechanic there's no way we can we can we can control this oh that was my answer from before it should have been rolling dice out of the open but um <laughs> but you know we're all staring at the table and you're like and like in your heart you're like okay you know like i've been slaughtering pcs this entire game and there's there's 60 crumpled sheets of paper on the floor all around me <laughs> and you see that d20 come rolling out and it's a 20 and everybody screams yeah. and you're just as happy as the players because you know it's like and you can't script it because we're all we're all rolling out in the open yeah but you know and you 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 throw these the and it's awesome right like yeah. you, you almost like to to write a good dcc adventure like you you make it a impossible problem to solve and you and you see what the what the players come up with and uh and it's just i don't know there's there's some of the moments that are fondest in my life you know just you know seeing these players have this triumph and just living into it so strongly so um part of what puts uh it didn't put me on i i knew dcc before this conversation happened but it, it pushed it to the forefront for me and and really was what tipped me over to to buy the original book because i interviewed tom from impact miniatures because we were talking about the work he does and, and the dice he makes and he talked about you know the work that he does uh with you guys to to, to put out uh the, the amazing dice um and i don't think i realized uh that until i talked to him and um michael it's a really interesting choice um, right. A really interesting choice. And, and I'm not saying a bad choice by, by saying that, but if I look at the book, you know, and we talk about it being evocative of, of the older, of the white box of the BX and so, you know, so on and so forth, this is a hard right turn, right? This is a, a hard right turn from, from that mold and really from anything else that's out there, this dice chain idea. Can, can we talk about why it's there and what it is? Yes, we can, because there, there, are, there are two answers to that. And again, this demonstrates Joe's wisdom when he was does, was designing this game. Now, it's actually funny that you say it's like it, it doesn't seem like it goes totally against what, you know, what we were doing with like the, you know, the with the box sets and everything like that. Yeah. But that's actually was forefront in Joe's mind, because the idea was is that if you remember, we all talked about like our first experiences with role playing game is that the first time you saw a D20 or a D8 or a D12, your little mind was blown like you like you're and so yeah, I mean, there was all like these weird dice so if you're the most jaded person you have you know the biggest collection you know, you know whatsoever suddenly you get dcc and you're like i do not own a d7 i do not own a d24 like this is ridiculous and then it's funny it's like because some people like totally resist like the like why do i need to buy weird dice to play this game and it's just like say that again but slower you know i mean <laughs> And then they realize, oh yeah, you know, it's like, hey, this is excuse to buy more dice. So, so, so yeah. So, so Joe definitely wanted again, oh, that's he's trying to evoke a uh, like that original feeling that you have when you're introduced to the hobby, you know, amongst us, the jaded grognards and people who are just learning to play the game for the, for the first time, you know. So, so that was part of it. But the other decision was it going back very much to streamlining everything. Mm. Like if, if you look at 3.5, it's just like, there's a tax of opportunity. And if you're flanking, you get this plus two bonus. And then if you're doing this, it's a minus three bonus. And, you know, I'm proficient in this, or I'm not proficient in that and everything like that. It's like, I, I, I ran a Pathfinder game at one point. We, we ran for a while. And eventually there's a reason that some people derogatively call it to Pathfinder. I mean, if that's your jam, that's, that's great. I mean, do it and everything. But it gets to a point where you're just like, there are just too many modifiers for my, 
aging brain to think about. So if all I can think about is like, hey, yes, you are having better advantage of this. You are, you, you have the high ground. And again, you know, I mean, roll that D24 instead of, or, or roll a D30. And there, you have not, you've not lived until you have seen a first level wizard like okay i'm going to cast magic missile and you can say all right because of this one i can roll this d30 and they're like 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 half the time they've never even touched a d30 let alone the fact they get to roll it now and like yeah. you know they could get a, a 28 unmodified you know i mean yeah. so yeah so there there's a lot of thought to it the idea is to to evoke that that original experience that we all went through when we first discovered those weird dice, you know, no matter how jaded we are, no matter how long you've been playing the hobby and just to make things a heck of a lot, a heck of a lot simpler. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we should, we should take a moment and put to rest the, uh, the misunderstanding. Like oftentimes I'll, I'll see the game reviewed and everyone's like, Oh, it's, it's, it's so clever that Joseph made it this game to sell these dice of his. <laughs> and like, and like, you rewind, you know, eight years, like, this is the best game you could play, but there were no dice anywhere. The game was never made for the dice. The game was right. made because, you know, Joseph loves Luzaki and his insane dice. And, and, you know, thank God, you know, Tom from impact came along because you couldn't find the dice to run the game. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't us selling. We're not in the dice business. <laughs> and, and, yeah. If you know, yeah. Gen Con 2014, that was like the first time we were back. And, you know, because Joe had a kid and we took a break and everything like that. So we weren't there. Like, I think you and Doug were there unofficially, like in 2012 when DCC we were, came back. We were. Yeah, you couldn't well, find we the were we, yeah. right, we were there until 2014 and it was just like this is a great game where do i get the dice and like somebody was found out like there's somebody was selling like the who knew dice set which yes, had like yeah. all of them like so we were all like go to that booth over there and like, like we were throwing business to, to somebody else and this was before impact came on so yeah. you know I'm, yeah like, yeah thank goodness they came along i mean like, <laughs> you know yeah um so in your mind, Dieter, uh, does the dice chain get amplified more than it should be, right? So it's it's always talked about. It's always going to be in early in the conversation. People review the game. It's going to be a big part of the conversation. Is it overblown or is it a critical part of the game? Oh no, I don't. I don't think it's it's necessarily a critical part of the game. You can play. You can give modifiers instead of using the dice chain if that's how you right. want to play. Absolutely, um, and you don't necessarily even need the weird dice. You can skip those dice in the dice chain, or you can you know roll a d. 20 divided by two subtract two whatever to get you know the numbers the numbers you need so no it's it's not it's not a requirement by any means but but it does make it so much easier to to just you know assign modifiers on the fly whatever It'd be like roll a d24 instead of a d20 because you have high ground or or uh, you know you've got uh, 20 people holding down your arms roll a d6 instead of a d20 <laughs> You know. Well, it is, it's neat to me because, again, um, I found it interesting how evocative it is, right? And, and, it, and it, it takes us back to how we started this podcast is those, you know, I sat down with my babysitter, I sat down with my older brother, and we had all these weird dice, and we, you know, rolled up a character sheets. And, and in a lot of ways, this is a huge love letter to those moments uh, when, when that first happens. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about um, the unbelievable amount of accessories modules and extra things that are available for this game it's it's incredible um and i cannot oversell it so when we get back let's talk about the supplements
This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway... Enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. Um, I, we could, we could do a, a whole series of podcasts, right. About, about the supplements and the, uh, and the modules that are available for DCC and I, and, and getting ready for this, I was trying to figure out like, what the hell, how the hell am I going to cover all of this? So the first thing is, is just go to the website. Um, that's the first thing that you need to do when you get done listening to this, go to the website and just see how much is out there and just how cool it is and all the different flavors that we see. Um, so I think the way that I want to talk about this is, um, and I, I think we'll start with you brendan um let's talk about one um and it can either be one that you were a part of or one that somebody else was a part of but i would like to to share a, a concept an idea what what is what is one of those dcc x's that uh, that we need to make sure everybody listening knows about so one of the dcc adventures or things that's out there that everyone should try um you know what? Okay, it's very easy for me to go today because I have been rereading the Shutter Mountains today. So if you want to try a different, uh, uh, <laughs> rather a lot, and yesterday too. So um, if uh, Shutter Mountains is a setting for Dungeon Crawl Classics, it takes place in a fantasy Appalachia. So um, this is uh, it's American-based fantasy, which I've always been. That's always been kind of like my like my thing. I've always yeah. you know, I, I, I love to see fantasy. You know, I love Tolkien. I love the whole British thing, but I, I love to see it. I love to see what we're doing too over on this side of things. Um, so uh, I would say uh, to to see what you can do with a fantasy game and how uh, what the what American fantasy looks like. I would say re I very much recommend. You know, Shutter Mountain has this wonderful deep flavor. You know, it's this. You know, um, uh, you know, like. Um, you know, you're you're out here in the mountains. There are there is a, a one god, the sovereign, who everyone kind of you know sort of like you know uh, uh, go through. There's the whole um, Melly Wade Bowman vibe, which is of course part of the uh, appendix, and that a lot of people don't pay a whole lot of attention to. So, um, all of that, uh, Michael Curtis is the one who um, uh, first I uh, wrote the um, the chained coffin, and then created this entire. Um, you know, sort of like a, really, it's a fantasy genre. I, I've never seen Appalachian role-playing until this, and it, I think it's done in a sensitive way. I think it's done in a way where it's not just like a bunch of, you know, hillbilly jokes or whatever, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, so uh, if you're going to try one thing outside of, um, 
outside of the, the mainstream settings for um, uh, for DCC, I would definitely try uh, Shutter Mountains slash Chain Coffin. I, I just I just sent you you uh, your Venmo money right there, Brendan. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah. So that chime you hear is your yeah no. <laughs> so I, I want to take you back, Brendan, um, to um, the moment before you wrote one, um, and then Penn started to hit paper. Um, and before Penn started to hit paper, there's a whole lot of shit going on in your head. Um, can you kind of walk me through how things? Uh, one of you, one of the um, modules that you uh, were a part of, how it went from up here and what it looked like, and then how it ended up on the page. All right, so um, I will talk about Home Sky, which Dieter mentioned, which was my first ever Dungeon Crawl Classics thing. So I was so excited uh, reading the core book and getting into it and getting, I was like, oh, I have to write my own funnel. And to this day, I think if, if you're going to be a designer, even if you're just going to write for your home group, I think that the, the, the DCC judge creating your funnel, your funnel. I think it's a, it's an act akin to like the Jedi making his lightsaber. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like, absolutely. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, this is where you put your stamp on the game and say, this is how I think it should go. You know what I mean? This is what I think it should be like. So um, I wrote this very long breakdown of an idea I had. Like I said, DCC was always very metal to me. And I really drew a lot of inspiration from metal, um, heavy metal videos of my youth. I'm not the world's biggest metalhead. I had a very intense, brief metal period in like the 80s. You know, and um, so I, I sent Joseph this whole long screen and I said, this is what I want to do. He was like, no, 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 can't do it. No. But this bit, that's good. You know, <laughs> something. yeah. So um, he said, take, take this little tiny bit here and expand that. And what was so, that bit? Um, uh, it was the it was uh, the idea of size. I wanted to do. Um, I really loved in, uh, Jack Vance when um, oh the wizard's name just flew out of my head in Dying Earth. But the one has the other one trapped in the little pterosac box with the giant with the dragon that's chasing him around the five uh, cornered maze. It's um, Turgid of Mirror, and I forget the other one. That's fine. Um, that's fine. Yeah. So. Uh, he, he, like I, I said, I really wanted to do something with size. In the orig my original concept, um, there was this party at the 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 the, the, the um, in the, the castle, and then there's this huge explosion, and everybody is dead except for the peasants. And uh, even they, like, I had a whole chart made up for like debris raining down on people, where you would either die or get like a, a sword <laughs> or a, you know a piece of gold or whatever. Um, and uh, but in the middle of it was this huge mask. And that was the beginning of the of the adventure. This, is, this enormous, like, you know, 100-foot-long mask. And what did that mean, you know? Um, so we liked that. <laughs> so uh, three iterations later, I finally said, how about this? And I pitched him what's basically a hole in the sky. And he said, oh, that, that'll work. So um, I ran it that day um, for some friends. And I started running it at conventions. Um, I probably ran it um, maybe a dozen times before I actually started writing it. But then I, I, I put it down. He didn't once we had gone through the process of him sort of like saying, you know, more appendix and more appendix and more appendix and once we had gotten through that, like, I feel like the, the final version was pretty solid. Like he, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't ask for huge, big changes. And in some ways the mechanics was actually a reaction to Harley's amazing funnel, um, which was uh, the sailors in the starless sea, like the classic funnel. The, the classic. For, yeah. Yeah. For, so that was the first thing I ever ran in DCC for my friends. And at the end, when they all leveled up, I had a hand go up. And my, my boy, Dwayne, who some of y'all have met, Dwayne's like, he's, he, he, 
you know, he's like, hey, how do I change my uh, lucky sign? I got like a, he- a magical healing. I ain't no healer. What do I do? I'm like, you just got a lucky sign. Oh, no, that's t- what? And yet he, he yelled. He, you know what I mean? He was real and happy about that. So part of what, you can, <laughs> what, what can happen in Hole in the Sky, I reacted to that. And there's actually, in the end, if you make it all the way through, you have an opportunity to change your stars, which may allow you, if you're lucky, to actually change your lucky sign basically it changed the stars you were born under right right um so that was that came right out of harley's thing right there you know that's, that's cool so brendan uh tonight when you're sleeping i'm going to break into your home and i'm going to find the original notes that you started jotting down as you uh were running this and all these conventions and then i'm going to grab my printed copy and i'm going to put them next to each other what am i going to see in these handwritten notes that i will see in this beautiful printed copy um, <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, the, okay, the main thing you'll see in the original things, beyond a lot of cross-outs and notes to myself, uh, is that uh, at the last minute, I changed the names of everything that was in there, so all of the, all of the, the principles, like, I, I had a thing, I was calling them in convention, and then when I actually sat down to write it, I was like, it just looked funny, looked funny on the page, you know what I mean, and you can't, yep. you know what I mean, I was like, nah, so all the names will have changed. You will notice that one thing you will absolutely notice is how bad my legendary bad map making skills actually are. Okay. So it's not, uh, you know, it, it's not, that's not, that's not hype. I'm really not good at drawing maps. So you will see the original, it was, it was more like a flow chart. It was like, you go to here and you go to here and then there's a thing and in my mind. It, it's very vivid in my mind, but you don't need a map for it in my yep. mind. I just, I just describe how it looks. And uh, so you would see how bad my maps were as well. That's great. So Dieter, as, as someone, I've sent them to the Goodman website. They're going through just pages and pages of all these beautiful, crazy covers and great, crazy titles. Uh, what is one of them for you that you think is, is significant and really ev- evokes the game well? Um, well, the, when I'm working at the booth at the convention, and I get asked all the time, what is the one adventure that I Are you saying this is not an original and- question, Dieter? Right. I, damn it. I, I'm prepared, prepared to answer this one. I, I have been already. <laughs> obviously, obviously, the change coffins. <laughs> no, uh, um, no, obviously, uh, Sailors on the Starless Sea is the one everybody needs. That's like the funnel that all other funnels are judged against. Why? But, but the, uh, just, I probably. Probably it, it was the first one sure. for starters, but but it, it's it's also just so big, like it is, it is not one you can really complete in one setting, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty epic. It's just epic. It's deadly. It's the fight on the ziggurat is again and again and again is always amazing. You know, you, you you're literally a bunch of zero level characters, and oh, you have to fight a chaos lord. And I love that about DC. <laughs> That's that's great, but the the other the other adventure that I always tell people to get is uh, Chaos Rising, which which is actually a compilation of five shorter adventures that run from level one to level five. So that gives you kind of an idea of how the game scales as you go, and it gives you an adventure for each level, and uh, and they're good adventures too. That's cool, um, M- Michael. You're going to go last for obvious reasons when we talk about supplements. But uh, Harley, how about for you? Um, as as you think about all of these you know dcc 100 for crying out loud as we talk about each one of these is there standouts for you that that someone listening has to at least go take a look at um i i i i I can't give mike's answer but what what whatever michael says is 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 
that's the one I'm choosing. Um, because the, the chance to, to work in Fritz Leiber's world, um, that, that, that changed the whole, that, that, that changed everything. Um, you know, I, I think, I think one of the, one of the really, a pivotal moment for me as a gamer was when I was, when I was growing up, I would walk into Toys R Us and I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, it is. We, we, we super dated ourselves with that, but keep well, going. That's right. you, you walk in and, and, and at least in, um, I spent a year in Tulsa, Oklahoma and you look up on the left just as you walked in and there was these TSR shelves that were like twice as tall as me. And it felt like they went for like 50 feet. And I, and I walked in and you walk in and, and you know, there are all these adventures bound in shrink ramp. And it, it just seemed like, like, like there was, there was, there would never be any end to them. And, and I, and I carried that with me, you know, into adulthood, even if, as I had moved on from D and D initially, and I had started playing some other games, it's like, wow, you know, whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever they were, they were building in Wisconsin, you know, like there's, there's just gotta be a safe, you know, even after, after TSR went out of business, there's a safe somewhere just stacked with the next 150 manuscripts. And then somebody introduced me to the Sam and I was like, oh my God, like, no, they're, they're, they're finite. And, and this, 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 this illusion I had been living with for, you know, half my life was wrong. Like, you know, you could catalog, you know, these worlds of wonder and, 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 you know, these worlds of the imagination and, and, and they were finite. And then, and then you get to DCC where Joseph has been so generous with the license. Um, you know, it's a, it's a free license that, you know, that in anyone that meets, you know, the, 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 content standards you know and and has gives them the opportunity to review like but the the worlds are literally literally limitless like you you could collect all the dungeon crawl classics you could find everything written by brendan and Dieter and and michael and harley but you start to look around and you're like oh my god <laughs> you know you know crawl zine and 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 crawl jammer and these and these you know zines that have have flourished and were brilliant and have have faded into obscurity and there's <laughs> there's, there's 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 a volume of support by third party publishers all done out of love of the game like we yeah. we we we're, we're very fortunate and that you know DCC is still somewhat obscure and that like it, it wasn't like the the 3.5 glut where everyone will I'm going to make a supers version of this because I know, you know, it's, it's wizards on the coast and somebody's going to buy it. And like all, all these are all labors of love that, um, you know, like, cause you know, no third party publisher is going to get rich off of it. So they're all like, you know, like this is what matters to them most in gaming. And, and the, the DCC's, you know, engine is, is so simple and, and, and just so streamlined enough that they, they can attach, you know, what matters most in this yeah. it could be pirates. It could be, Pirates in space. It could be trans. You know, like it's, 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 <laughs> at this point, you can play the DCC rules in any setting you can imagine, and probably several you can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, and and, and, it's, and it's not a it's not a weird bolting on because the 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 system is robust enough that it can support support those mechanics. And there's there's literally there's no end. And so you start you start diving in, and it's like, oh well, I I want something like this. And and if you can't find it. And it's what you love more than life itself. You can write it, right. and then the next thing you know, it's like, well, you know, I, I, and then you come back, and then that that person has now made their own zine that they're publishing, which is which you can order from the from the website, you know, hosted by Goodman Games, and you know, and it'll be supported by the the the, the, the zero level generator, you know, by Purple Sorcerer, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's just that 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 wealth of of opportunity and options. 
and 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 it's still wide open, right? Like the best the best DCC adventure has not been written yet. <laughs> you know, there's there's some kid coming up, and you know, and... I'm I'm working on it. I'm working. <laughs> it's some girl that's like nine years old and just discovering dice for the first time and 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 all of a sudden you know she has this system that she can write to and, and she can run for her friends and it's going to blow the minds of everybody that gets the chance to look at it and so to, so that's a long way of not answering your question well um, done but yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's just there's there's so much opportunity to just pour your love and passion into the game and see it reciprocated by other, you know, every 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 player, every judge is a creator, and and every creator is a judge, and you know, and when when we get together at these conventions, it's it was it was so cool. Sorry, I'll shut up in a second, but um, you know, for a long time, um, John Hirschberger was responsible for like organizing our 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 booth and all the third party offerings and it, and it just crept and our booth kept getting bigger, but the third party, like, you know, like supplements, they started to creep around the side and we were stacking them, you know, like, you know, as densely as we could. There's, there's a lot out there and, and it's all made from the heart by somebody who was really passionate about their iteration of dungeon crawl classics. It's a living, breathing Testament, right? And, and, and you see this every once in a while, but it's not common. You see every once in a while, a system will come across that just the community jumps on and just starts creating stuff. And, and it's, it is, it, it, it's a Testament to the system. Um, so Michael, I purposely saved you for last for obvious reasons. Um, I want to talk about, the beginnings of your setting. Well, what be, what became your setting, right? It's not your setting, but um, uh, like which, which wh- one? <laughs> where where for, for, for Lankmar, uh, Um Okay. Where which one, jerk? Um, <laughs> what um, <laughs> what um, when did that conversation start? Okay. All right. So all right. So before I get there, because I I want to answer. I want to provide my own answer oh, to please. the question that you yeah. gave to everybody else because because uh, because Harley uh, by prefacing his answer that I didn't want to steal my Curtis's question has stolen my stolen my answer because basically what I was going to say is that the best supplement the best accessory that Dungeon Crawl Classics has produced in the now ten years it has been at, been out and this is something that even Joe could not foresee when he was despite all the forward thinking he had when he was designing the game could not have in mind and that is the community of fans i have been involved in a lot of different fan communities over the years some before the internet where you had to meet jerks face to face uh you couldn't you know you couldn't just dial up the internet and meet them online you know i said dial and up. literally i don't know if it's just we have a great birth auger like we just roll really well but the the dcc community has literally been one of the most positive, one of the most accepting. I mean, you just the fact and the fact that, you know, as Harley was saying, it, they are some of the most creative people. Uh, the running joke is that Joe wanted to produce the DCC annual like the first year after DCC was out when that was going to be like us like filling in some of the blanks and everything. And it took like six, eight years for us to come out with the annual just because the fan community basically made us obsolete. They were putting out stuff that we like we had to step up our game. We were looking at something like this is crap compared to what somebody else is cranking out, you know, at home and everything. And. In my role now is that I spend a lot of time talking with people, especially some of the young, because we have we have, there are players there there are players in the community who literally 
like were had pigtails when they first sat down in our tables and are now like in college and everything. So, so I'm, so they're not, you know, neckbeard grognards who have been playing since 1980, 1979 or anything. They're picking this game up, you know, relatively recently. And I asked, I always ask them, I was like, what is it that's, why is it that you're playing DCC and not like 5e or, you know, or, you know, anything else, you know, like, you know, you know, fate or, you know, power by the apocalypse or something like that. And nine times out of 10, the answer is the community. Which Isn't doesn't do cool? me a lick of good because I can't find a way to package the community yet. So it's just like you know you have to discover the community. But um, I, I seriously is that they the, the just the sheer creativity that everybody puts out is just absolutely amazing. There's no way Joe could have anticipated this love, but eventually when he was doing this, he was following his gut, and there weren't, there were other people who felt this way. So you know, so we're all here, and the fact that I still have I have the job which I have now is because that people for the last ten years have been saying I want this, but I want more of it, and and it's literally. You know, the DCC rulebook is every, there's no splat books. There's no anything else. It's like you can buy that. You can buy the soft cover book, 25 bucks. You know, you can buy a set of dice for 20, 25 bucks. All right. That's, that's, you know, that's like less than 50 bucks. You don't have to buy a single thing from us ever again, because that's all you need. But once you start playing that, you're going to be like, oh, I want more of this. And, you know, and whether it's coming from us, whether it's coming from the community, I mean, you know, I would hardly say how many other how many other companies out there have a third party license, but like at Gen Con, they literally have like an entire set of their booth, which is just set aside for, you know, for people who literally like, I, I you know, I did a run of a thousand of these at, at you know, Staples. And it's, it's, sitting there, it's sitting there next to like the landmark box set. It's sitting there next to Frozen Time. It's sitting next to Purple Planet. You know, I mean, it's all there with everything else is official. You know, if if you're gonna do, please put your please put your how much it costs on it. I will advise oh, that. God. I yes. We ain't one. But we will sell it. So, that's right, awesome so that, that out of the way <laughs> let's go back to the <laughs> well, well, but i'm not gonna let you go yet quite on that because the one comment i'll make about that is you know obviously luck is a factor as far as a community right um and a lot of that is you know where does where's the where does it start right when the community starts you get you get a, a few a few people in there that kind of set the tone for the community and it grows and it grows and there's a luck factor but it's not all luck and, and part of it you have to give credit to, to to joe right and to what he created and then the people that he brought in with him right that that set the tone and 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 um tilled the field early right um and that and that's super super uh important i have a theory Ooh, i believe that the dcc character funnel self-selects for the best players interesting all right so if you get together a whole bunch of gamers from, you know, just from every group and say, okay, I want to introduce you to a new game. I'm going to give you four zero-level characters. They will basically be helpless. You'll have, you know, sticks and rocks and terrible weapons, no armor, and you're going up against demons and horrifying things. It'll be really bloody. You're going to lose most of your characters. But if you survive, that character will then go on to be something and have this amazing story behind them. The players who go, yes, why aren't we doing that right now? Those are going to be the people who are down for what I feel like is the absolute pinnacle of gaming, which is fun at the table. Yeah. Only That's really the only fact that really matters. I think that uh, the people who are like, nah, I really like to tailor a character around my concept. and You know what I mean? That's a way to play, and I've had a lot of fun playing like that and with those players. But I think that when you set the, the – I think the community – is kind of like self-select by people who are into uh, the, the very idea of that. The kind of people who are like, kamikaze, let's see how many guys I can kill tonight. 
that's fun. That is, that is, yeah, and 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 then it has a magnetic force, right? That that brings in a certain type of player that has a certain approach to gaming, which isn't necessarily the right or wrong approach. To your point, Brendan, but it it it, it is now it's now the orbit, right? And and yeah, exactly, very very cool. All right, back to my freaking original question. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Michael, I, I'm really fascinated to know how Lankmark came to be because um, it's a big deal. Um, so, um, when did the conversation start? When did it first get brought up? So, all right. So what happened is, uh, you know, of course, of course we can't lay claim to it. That, that, that entirely goes to Fritz Leiber and sure. Ariano Fisher who started, you know, right during the depression started right. Basically they were writing fanfic to one another. So they're like, all right, you're a barbarian. I'm a thief. You know, what do we get up to? And then that just turned eventually into the line of the stories, um, that, you know, and, um, the Lankmar stuff has been adapted several times. Um, you know, like TSR did it back. They were the first to do it, and then uh, I know Mongoose had it for Mongoose had it for a while, and the um, Pinnacle had it for a while. And I remember that there was uh, there was a there was a day where Joe Akesu will send an email which just consists of a picture. <laughs> and and one day we got a picture which was taken from his cell phone or so. This might have actually this might have been taken from like a you know like like a little you know like an actual digital camera. I don't know if Joe had actually had a cell phone because that goes long long far enough back. But it was literally just a picture of the contract with the with the library estate. Oh wow! And then then that we got that and we were like, does this mean what I think this means? I said, oh yes, it does. And uh, so I was ecstatic. Because I my I was introduced to Lankmar through Datas and Demigods, uh, that that I had never even heard, I never read any of the Lankmar stories until '88 or '89 or not, maybe even '90. Because like the last one, Knights and Knights of Lankmar, uh, Knights and Knights of Swords came out. I bought it at a spinner rack in a in a pharmacy. Like, hey, I think I know who these guys are, and I read it and like this is nothing like the Datas and Demigods, you know, write up in it. Because at the point it was the the last stories, and they weren't in Lankmar and all the rest of that stuff. But I still there was something about it that I loved. And I had I finally got a chance to read the stories in college because my my college library had all of them that had you know Swords Against Devilry, Swords Against Death, and everything. And I literally over the course of like a week just took one out, brought it back to my dorm room, read the entire thing, returned it, took the next one out, set it, and oh, it completely so cool. changed the way that I approached role playing whatsoever. Like I, <laughs> like I had totally like like before it was like Dragonlance, and then I read this, and it was like oh this is you know this is all this this is yeah. nice in the back and night markets and all the rest of that stuff. None of this none of this crap you know. Um, so I've always been a huge fan of it. And then uh, when, we, when Joe sent around that email, so we knew we got the license. And that Gen Con, we had kind of a powwow. We had everybody got together after after we had shut down the booth for the day. We all went to one of the restaurants in Indy. I don't remember where it is. I, you know, I don't remember what the name of it was. Whatever. But Harley was there. Doug was there. Right now, I don't know if you were there or not. But, you know, I, I don't know if you were there, the, the original discussion that we had. But, um Okay, because you you're you're probably with Fat Dragon at that point, you know, or something like that. But so so there was about a handful of us. You know, were you there? Do you recall being there? I don't think I I don't think I, don't I was think there either. Now. But so anyway, so there was, there was about five of us, and we just started bouncing ideas off of each other. And and then when I got home, I said, all right, I have I I had like the Dragon CD archive, like Dragon magazine, like mm -hmm. one 
300, whatever it was on CD. So I went through it and I pulled all of the, the Lankmar stuff from like the old issues. And I basically put together this massive document of like other reference stuff. And I sent that around to Joe. It's like, here, like we have all this reference stuff to draw on. I think I had a, an interview with library and like another magazine. I scanned that, put it in there. I just put together this huge packet. And Joe was like, congratulations. You are now lead designer of VCC Lankmar. Because, you know, I said, okay. I guess we're going to do that. And um, so it started, and this was back in the days of Google+, Plus, uh, the, the, long, the long departed and, and, and missed uh, Google+. Plus. Um, we, there was a chat, well, like, there was a, there was a, uh, a circle, whatever they heard it called in the back of that group set up and it was, it was Harley and me and Doug. And I think, I think we had Brendan and Joe involved, but they never showed up. Uh, so it was just basically <laughs> the three of us bouncing ideas off of each other. Uh, you know, cause like, I think we should do this. And we, and we talked about everything. We talked about like the architecture, like what does, what does the <laughs> you know, <laughs> Roof lines, roof lines were big for about roof a week. Lines were big. So we literally were like, it's kind of like a Mediterranean climate. So they wouldn't have to like be pitched for snow. Like right. That's like we literally had this discussion, and and that's when we started talking about luck economy. But you know, but Harley Harley has a lot going on in his life, so he would come in, and then like something would take him away. In. So it would usually be Doug and I sharing a hotel room at like a convention, and we would sit and we would talk Lankmar, we talk about luck economy, and all the rest of the stuff, and and what Lankmar wasn't, and and so it literally like. I think it, I think it was five years, almost like almost, it was maybe at least four years that we were bouncing ideas off and writing it and putting it all together. So it, it wasn't like a cash grab. It was like we 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 said from the beginning, like the goal was is like we're we're going to get Liber right for the first time. We were going to get Liber right, you know, because other people had made the stab at it, and I, I think people had fallen short. So we were gifted with, in my my opinion, the perfect rule system to use as the backbone for it. So. Michael, one thing I find fascinating as I talk to more and more creators um, is it, there seems to very often be a moment when a decision is made that makes it all click. A decision or a choice to throw something out, to add something, to play with something, and, and it happens and then everybody goes, oh, wait, oh, oh shit, this is it. We, it, it. Now it all makes sense. Did that happen as this was being put together? Yeah, uh, yeah, I will have to say it's the, the fleeting luck mechanic, the fleeting luck yeah. mechanic, because that that came up really that came up really early, and it was such a simple decision. It was just a simple simple mechanic that's really easy to pick up, and it just changes the way that you it changes your attitude about how you're going to play. It's like it totally throws that like all right, this is going to be a this is a a swords and sorcery. This is flashing blades. This is craziness. This is you know this is this is this is this is a setting where we got Fafford drunk and. And, you know, we tied him to a bed and he, he, you know, he broke out of the bed and he's chasing the gray mouse around like, like we wanted to capture that. So the fleeting luck mechanic really just rewards you for doing this kind of stuff. And because the fact that you all this accumulated luck can go away at any moment, there's no sense in holding on to it. And when it does go away, that just that just encourages you to do more stupid stuff, to do more like extravagant stuff to start earning that thing back. And the fleeting luck, I knew that even if DCC Lankmar fell on its face completely and everybody looked at it and said, this is the worst iteration of Lankmar I've never seen in life, I knew that fleeting luck was going to make the jump and appear in core DCC. And I was 100% right. There are, some, there are people who, are, who have no interest in running Lankmar whatsoever, but they're using the fleeting luck rules. You know, so... Um, no. There are people who have stolen it for their own settings. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you ask permission, you know. <laughs> so, Brendan, I'm going to put you in charge of a very important thing, which is um, people are listening. They're getting jazzed up. Um, where do they need to go? To uh, find out what we do. Yeah. 
Okay, well, absolutely visit us at uh, GoodmanGames.com. We're like Goodman-Games.com. I guess in the age of Google, you'll find us. Um, you can find us on uh, Twitter. Um, on Twitch, we have a lot of great content on Twitch. And uh, we're putting up new Twitch shows all the time. So uh, it's Goodman Games Official on Twitch. We actually have, you know, if, if, um, if you're interested in learning how to play the game, I would say, you know, if you want to actually start with actual play, there's a ton of actual play on uh, YouTube right now. You can go on there. You can go to our official channel and also other channels that are running it as well. Um, there were several different shows where you can watch every level of um, of, uh, of the you know play from you know from people who are running funnels, people who are running higher level adventures, and then every kind of other strange iteration of dunge of dungeon crawl classics. You can find a sampling of that online, you know, um, or on YouTube uh, someplace. Let's say you just want to learn how to play. Yep. Uh, if you want to learn how to play, we have a demo night uh, most Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, I'm not doing a podcast. Uh, you can sign up, and uh, I'll uh, and I should play a game with me. Um, I take five at a time for um, for demo nights, and I'll do a special one if you need a special time zone or whatever. And sometimes we do a demo week where me and uh, the, me and the demo crew will do like 15 games in a weekend and just wow. uh, rock it out. You know, um, so uh, yeah, come come and find us, and you know, come and find us at the conventions. Um, you know, we're back on the road this year. We're going to be at uh, GaryCon this year. Big <laughs> old fingers crossed. We don't get GaryCon this year. Um, also, we have our own online conventions. We have DCC Day, which is totally worth checking out. And uh, uh, what's that? What do y'all smell? Is that romance in the air? Why? <laughs> romance of the Cyclops Con is going to be uh, in or around the, uh, the uh, romantic holidays this year. And uh, I hope you'll come and uh, play a game with me and some of the other... DCC well, illustrious. Well, it's it's going to be November, so not the most romantic of holidays, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, it is my birthday month, so yes, you are right on some level, but you know. And I love turkey, so. <laughs> yes. Well, hey, since since we talked about how great the DCC community is, I also want to throw out there that there is a Facebook group not run by Goodman Games called DCC RPG Rocks, and that's a great place to meet other members of the community and discuss the game. Yeah, and guys, we're going to have links to all of that in the show notes harley i've got an important question for you though before we leave as um somebody um listening suddenly gets a hundred dollar gift card to goodman games they've never played dcc before they listen to us talking about it um how should they spend that hundred dollars well they they should they should go to uh you know goodman-games.com and they should download all the free stuff to start with, like the free character sheets, the quick start rules, like uh, go to Purple Sorcerer Games and get the free dice roller. And so once they have more gaming material than they than they they need, it's all been offered to them free. They hold on to that hundred dollar gift card until like the middle of February, maybe late March, and DCC one hundred, the you know the Kickstarter finally goes live. Nice. And then they 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 just they just go in whole hog and they and they they get. Um, you know, music of the spheres is chaos. DCC 100, and they and they Does Kickstarter accept gift cards. <laughs> I, I, I will I will mail them a hundred dollars so that they can partake in 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 uh, DCC 100 because it's going to be amazing. And, oh, you know, that's exciting! That's like that's like thick in our heads right now. Like right now, you know, Michael and Joseph and I are are bouncing emails almost hourly on like, all right, what what more can we pack in here? How how much cooler can we make this Kickstarter? So. Uh, that, that's that's if I had to buy one thing um, that was you know from Goodman Games in the next year it would be DCC 100. 
I will interject, however, that if you cannot wait that long, is that we, <laughs> we do offer we do offer what we call the uh, the like the beginners bundle, and uh, for that that basically for I think it's fifty dollars. I'm thinking offhand. Is, I think it's even less than that. That one is yeah, but it's around the fifty. So so you so you can spend about half of that gift certificate, and that will get you a copy of the DCC rulebook. It will get you a copy of the Funky Dice. It will give you the DCC Judges screen, and it will give you an adventure of choice. So basically, you can either spend that spend that fifty dollars or blow that forty dollars on like the you know some other role play game starter set, which gives you a you know a, a you know an adventure with the boiled down rules and maybe two pairs of dice or something like that. So yeah, so the first time fan kit, um, you can't go wrong with with that. If you want to go see worst comes worst, you're out fifty bucks, and you know I mean you know you can sell the you can sell the rule book and all the dice, you know, independent and eBay and make 10 bucks out of the deal. You know? Yeah, you can sell <laughs> all the parts for more than you spend. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't everybody do that. Don't everybody you know, just buy it and then make it 10. Oh. Yeah, it's just not worth it. You know, eBay fees and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. I, th- I think Michael just created Bitcoin. Um, well, I think there's a Ponzi exchange that can be done here somehow. All right. My and, Venmo. Yeah, never. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So uh, for those of you listening, you just scroll right down right now and you're going to see links to everything that we just talked about. Um, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough. This was a lot of fun. I normally do not have four people on my show i was nervous as hell but i think we knocked it out of the park yeah i mean once 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 you all share a bed like a bunch of puppies you know i mean we can have no problem just talking about this <laughs> well thank you so much for having us craig it was a real blast oh it was a ton, a ton of fun and uh for those of you that sat through this whole thing like you're still listening i appreciate you too take care this episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floorheads still here wow um well the episode is over but if you're bored why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month yeah you can just scroll down scroll down and yeah get the link it's patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible don't you want to join the other floorheads on the patreon discord anyway Thanks for sticking around. Take care.